Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, happy Thanksgiving. Today, we are going to have a very interesting episode. We're going to be talking about Jordan Peterson and his faith. And my guest is Dr. Bethel McGrew, and she is a freelance writer, a cultural critic. She's written for publications such as National Review, First Things, The Spectator, and many more. She's also a teacher and a PhD in mathematics. So what's interesting about this episode is Bethel and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to do an episode with her on one of her articles, or one of her many, many articles. And she ended up sending me this one on Jordan Peterson, and the title is called Missing God, and the subtitle is Jordan Peterson and the Decline of Atheism. And what's really funny about this is I had dinner with Connie Selica and John Tesh a couple of weekends ago, and we had this a, a great a great dinner at this restaurant in Beverly Hills. And when we walked in and sat down, we noticed that right next to us in a booth right next to us was Jordan Peterson and his wife. And so we were like, whoa, because Connie and John are fans of Jordan Peterson. And so and I and I am, too, and I've known about him for a long, long time. And so after dinner, he he actually got up with his wife to leave and we kind of stopped him <laughs> and we're like, Hey, we love you. We like, we love your work. And we ended up in this conversation with him. And, uh, you know, it's funny because Connie asked him just bluntly, she said, you're a Christian, right? And he said, his answer was, was very revealing, which we'll get into in the episode. But, um, and then we, I told him, uh, well, actually, Connie told him about my show, and she said, you need to go on Beckett's show. And so he's like, "What? what's your show? And I said, well, it's called The Beckett Cook Show. And I gave him my card, and I had a moment with him, and I told him basically a short version of my story, and I invited him on my show. So we'll see if he contacts me and comes uh, comes on the show. Um, but then we said, well, what are you doing in L.A.? Where, where are you going? And he said, oh, I'm speaking tonight at the YouTube theater at the SoFi Stadium down by LAX. And and we're like, oh, we had no idea that he was even giving a lecture that night. So he said, I would give you tickets, but I've already given them all my free ones out. And so we just, John Tesh was like, we'll just buy tickets. We're, we're coming. And so we decided to go to the lecture and we drove down all the way down near the airport and there was a ton of traffic and we get to, we finally get to the lecture and it was very interesting. Um, he talked a lot about uh, Genesis and Exodus and, and, and I want to, we're going to get into this with Bethel, but it's, it's just interesting because he, he uses, he, he really likes to use the framework of the Judeo Christian biblical kind of 
worldview. And, but there seems to be something kind of missing. And we're, we're going to get into that. But first, a word from our sponsor. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. And so I'm happy to welcome Dr. Bethel McGrew. Welcome. Thank you, Beckett. Great to be here. So it's, I was saying in the intro, it's so funny because I just, you know, I just went to Jordan Peterson's uh, lecture the other night and how this is just kind of dovetailing with this piece that you wrote and what we're talking about today. The timing is just, (laughs) the timing is pretty hilarious. Clearly. Yeah. And so tell us, uh, there's a, you know, there may be some people out there who don't know who Jordan Peterson is. So tell us who is Jordan Peterson and how did he rise to such prominence? Yes. Okay. So for, for both of you out there uh, who might not be aware, um, Jordan Peterson is a, um, a former professor, clinical psychologist, Canadian, and he, he rose to prominence through couple of different events. Um, he, he got some political attention because he, he protested um, a bill in Canada that would have restricted freedom of speech around trans pronoun usage. So that was at the end of 2016. Um, and then through 2017, he uh, began getting a lot of views for a series of biblical lectures on YouTube. And then he kind of exploded on the scene in early 2018. Um, when he wrote a, a book called 12 Rules for Life, and that was a, a bestseller. A um, little bit of everything, kind of unusual book. It, it was sort of a self-help book, but, you know, kind of strange and different and quirky um, and just had a really big impact. And so then he uh, began a massive international speaking tour and uh, became a highly sought after um, lecturer, speaker, um, not, not really a pundit. He wasn't a, a political thinker, but just sort of bringing all of his insights as a psychologist and uh, trying to apply them to the present day. And he really had a way of uh, speaking to people that was compelling. And, uh, and so then his career has had a lot of sort of crazy ups and downs since then, but, uh, but he's still yeah. out there and, and still speaking. And yeah, and so the, just the, the, other day. the critical moment in his, his rise or the critical kind of key moment in his uh what kind of launched him was when he i guess he was a prof- he was a professor at harvard i believe and then at but it, at this time he was at university of toronto yeah right and he was the the bill was compelling him to i guess use pronouns yeah, right it was right it was a cons- yeah it was a cons- compelled speech bill 
um, that it, it, like it would have bundled this kind of thing along with a bunch of other things that were, you know, being counted as discrimination or whatever. Um, and he, he wasn't, um, he didn't think of himself as a super conservative type guy. He was sort of an old fashioned liberal, um, but he felt very strongly about compelled speech and had this strong instinct that it was bad, bad news for the government to try to force him to use words that he might or might not want to use. Um, so he spoke out against that and that kind of got him notoriety in Canada specifically. Um, but I don't think he, he didn't really break into the wider uh, consciousness until his book came out. And also right. he had a, he had a very contentious interview with a, a British broadcaster that went viral. And that's kind of how but I, what you're saying it. is, that's right. <laughs> right. Words in his mouth. What you're yes. saying is, what you're that, saying is. Exactly. Right. And so she, she was this, uh, you know, this feminist interviewer and um, she mm. was trying to, she was trying to get him to make himself look bad about gender differences between men and women. And, uh, and he was just very skillful and kind of avoided all her traps. And so that just exploded. And, and uh, a lot of people like me were sort of like, who is this guy? He's sort of interesting. And then we found out, oh, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting layers to, to this guy. He's not really like anyone else who's stepped out onto the stage as a public intellectual before. Yeah, and I I, I watched recently a, a, an interview he did with Piers Morgan, and he he said basically with that incident at University of Toronto, he said, "I the government cannot have control over my tongue." Like yeah, that, that's kind right. of what his. So that was really, um, yeah, the thrust of that. Uh, and so you wrote this piece, and it's called "Missing God." The title's Missing God. This, the subtitle is Jordan Peterson and the Decline of Atheism. Now, so just briefly, like, what is the general thesis of this piece that you wrote? Sure. Um, so this was a piece that I contributed to um, an anthology, which is like critical responses to various popular public intellectuals. And so I actually have something coming out in their volume on Sam Harris and maybe later on Steven Pinker. And so um this is something I wrote after a couple of years of watching and reflecting on Peterson's work. And I think basically my, my thesis is that um, Peterson highlighted the, the weaknesses and deficiencies of the old new atheist cohort. So, the, you know, like the Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins guys who kind of um, ruled the atheist airwaves back in the, the noughties or whatever, that kind of post-September 11th um, milieu. And so then Peterson sort of comes along and really just punctures a lot of that, exposes a lot of that, um, and it shows, it sort of re recovers, rediscovers a lot of the power of Christianity and the Bible. Mm -hmm. But now that he's found it, he's sort of himself kind of confused and doesn't quite know what to do with it uh, or how it all fits together or where to put it in his own worldview. So he's kind of attempting to come along and, um, you know, and restore some, some reverence and some dignity to the Christian worldview. Um, but he, he doesn't really quite know what to, what to make of it himself still. We'll be right back after this short break. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists 
the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yeah, and I mentioned this in the intro uh, that when we were at dinner and we met him, Connie Selica said, asked him straight, I mean, just bluntly asked him, she said, you're a Christian, right? And he, his response was very telling uh, because he said, I don't talk about that. I don't talk about that in public. Yeah. Or, like, or in private well, either. It's, it seems like, cause it sounds like he didn't really answer her in that context, you know? Yeah. And so I found that very interesting. And, um, and so let's get into this piece. You, you say that um, you, you call him a rogue. I love that the rogue professor. Um, so you say that he's Jordan Peterson has uh, been. Oh, okay. So when you, when you saw him, you saw him speak in what year was that? Uh, I, I saw him in May of 2018, actually. So he, it, it was like, right you know, peak Peterson, okay. you know, he was okay, right yeah. in his prime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you say for three hours, you, we sat, you and your friend sat silent, quietly under the spell for three yeah. hours. We were haunted by the problem, which has haunted Jordan Peterson his whole life. Uh, how to find the meaning of life now that God is dead and we have killed him. So you're, you're kind of referencing the madmen and um, Nietzsche's mm-hmm. uh, the gay science. Uh, and so Talk about that a little bit. Like what, how, how is he searching for the meaning of life in these lectures? So he's, yeah, he refers himself to Nietzsche a lot. Um, and, and how, you know, he has his own kind of spin on what Nietzsche is doing in that passage where he's, he's saying that it's like this, this crisis that we're in where um, the, the old frameworks for uh sense making for creating meaning have been broken um the whole you know the enlightenment rationalism modernist project um sort of broke those and but the problem is that we still need meaning um we're still meaning seeking creatures so how do we find it you know what do we do what does what does it mean to to have faith or to believe in in anything so he's tried to kind of see if he can restart this from the ground up right um, and so that particular night at, at, it, you, 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 maybe you'll get into this as you, you keep reading, um, he was focused on sort of a problem of evil, uh, 
question, but not yeah, not, because you yeah. said that you said he you were he was talking about I guess the Holocaust and the prisoners in their camps, right? And how that they were ordered to carry they were forced to carry hundred pound salts of uh, sacks of wet salt back right. and forth, and um, basically the whole point was inflicting maximal pain. And Peterson found his absolute, as you say in this piece, his absolute was this is wrong. Yeah. And you say um, in that he he could conclude that there are unquestionably evil acts. But you say, but there was the rub Um, on some level. Peterson still believed the atheist critique of religion was correct, but he was still a modern man as such. And as such, he couldn't be a religious man. So he's kind of in this bind because he he wants the uh the framework of a judeo-christian world but right and he's kind of making it's like he's he's reinventing the moral argument essentially right um and so he's concluding okay there's there's such a thing as objective evil so then you know the opposite has to be true there should be such a thing as as objective good okay so these these things exist they're out there but um, but he feels like he'll, he'll sometimes talk about fundamentalism, uh, you know, or fundamentalist Christianity. And he grew up in the United Church of Canada, okay, which is like this extremely squishy, vague, mainline mm-hmm. Christianity. It's not even Christianity. The priests don't believe anything. And so um, he was never really he was never really exposed to like a well-grounded, strong, intelligent Christianity. And so he has this sort of low resolution idea of you know, like, well, there's mainline-ish stuff, and then there's, like, hard fundamentalism over here. And he doesn't, he doesn't think that fundamentalism is correct, because he's also deeply into evolutionary science, right? So that's all bound up in his mind. So he's like, well, we can't go back, you know, we can't, like, unlearn evolution or whatever. Um, And so then my new project is going to have to be grounded in real science, right? Um, so in that sense, he's going to agree with some of what the new atheists are saying, but also he recognizes that they're extremely glib and flippant about human nature. And in the case of Sam Harris, they, they have a really poor framework for understanding good and evil. Right. And you, you mentioned Sam Harris and uh, Sam Harris had debated Jordan Peterson. They had a debate and couple Um, a few debates it was like this debate series you know big long thing yeah and it's interesting because i kind of appreciated sam harrison in in the way he because he kept kind of asking jordan peterson are you a christian are you a christian and right and jordan's response i'm trying to find it here but his response um he was just sort of he was, irritated. He and was kind vague of- and irritated. And then finally, Sam Harris get, gets really specific. And he, and he says, do you believe, I think it was the resurrection. Do you believe yeah. in the resurrection? And Jordan's response was that would take me 40 years to. 40 hours. 40 yeah. hours. Sorry. 40 yeah. hours to talk about or to explain. Right. So what is that all about? What is that? What is the 40 hours? Oh my gosh. Wandering through the wilderness for 40 hours. I know. Well, I mean that Peterson has given, you know, variations on that answer for a few years now. And it's funny because um, another time he said, well, that would take me three years. 
uh, to understand and study. It's, it's now been about three years since he uh, said that. <laughs> we're, we're still waiting. Um, so there's so many layers going on in that moment. And I tried to kind of unpack some of those. So, um, you know, at some level, I think Peterson sensed that there was a bit of a status game going on because, um, because Harris, in his mind, you know, like, obviously, if you're a reasonable person, right, you know, like you're a reasonable modern guy, uh, your answer is going to be, well, no, of course, Jesus didn't rise, didn't rise for the dead. Or, well, maybe it's like logically possible, but almost certainly not. There right. we go. Easy. Done. Moving on. Right. So um, Peterson was irritated because he was sort of sensing the question under the question, which is, um, are you an intelligent, rational, modern guy here or not? Right. 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 You know, um, in front of all these people, please prove to me that you're an intelligent person. <laughs> you know, and, and he and, wasn't taking the bait. Exactly. So he... he didn't want to take the bait. He resented that, which I can understand, you know, um, but it, it's yeah, it was still a fair question. So I also, to some degree, appreciated Sam Harris. And so I thought really both of them in the course of the debate, both of them landed some fair points and neither of them really won strictly out of the whole argument. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because as, as you said, um, you know, Jordan Peterson, when I, when we saw him the other night, he was, he was kind of, t- uh, touching on his new series in Exodus. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's coming up with daily wire. Yeah. He's and he, he kind of got into that a little bit, um, which was fascinating because, um, he, whenever he referred to God in Exodus, he didn't refer to him as God. He only referred to him as uh, the divine, I think, or divinity. I can't remember if it was divinity or the divine. Ah, and um, and he kind of talked about. By the way, it's, it was interesting in the audience. There were so many guys, young guys, who were in suits with like really like sharp haircuts. Same, same when my when I saw it yeah, too. Yeah, because that's yeah. his whole thing is like make your bed. You know, that's right. You, stand up straight. Stand up straight. Um, but I, I haven't seen the Genesis series. Have you? Have you seen that? Yeah, I've watched a lot of it. Um, I'm not sure if I've watched like every single lecture all the way through, but it's so interesting because I mean, in one sense, it it's a mess, you know, he's just kind of all over the place. And, and he, he brings in like some of this like 19th century junk and he'll bring in Jung who's garbage. Right. He's yeah. He, like he, 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 all he, that. he yeah. talks about Jung a lot during the lecture. The yeah. Other right. And so, I mean, if you look up, there's something called the golden bow, which was a big deal in the 19th century. And that lays out this, this sort of literary interpretive framework for the old Testament. So, um, you know, he's deeply into, that, that's how he was trained. You know, he was sort of steeped in that way of, of reading the Bible. Um, that kind of, ger- was it that, that came out of Germany, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So he's, you yeah. know, in, in that respect. But what was so fascinating about the lectures as I just sat through them was he would like go off on these amazing rambling tangents um, about like lessons drawn from his clinical practice. And when, when he would get down to like the stories and, and the characters and the psychology of the characters and the stories, he would go and he would remember people he had encountered as a psychologist and draw all of these threads together and tell like sometimes these amazing stories that were, you know, like they were really tragic or really powerful and they, they illuminated something about human nature. And then he would say these incredibly insightful things about, you know, 
about sin and good and evil and the human heart or whatever. And like at a certain point, he wasn't really talking about Genesis anymore, but whatever he was doing, I was, I, I liked it. You know, I, I just wanted him to kind of keep rambling. Uh, and that sort of was the essence of Peterson. And it was so, it was such a weird cultural phenomenon that these, these epic three hour rambling sessions we're racking up millions and millions of YouTube views. Like that, that's not a thing that happens. It just doesn't I happen, know. you know, it, and, and they weren't like flashily produced. Like they, you know, they didn't have billion dollar production values. Certainly not like what he has now with the daily wire. You know, this is before mm-hmm. he had any money. He just rented out a theater and was like, Hey, I'm going to talk about Genesis and stuff. Anyone want to come listen? And so people were like, sure. And we'll film. Yeah, and he's not a theologian. He's he's exactly. a psychologist. So right, um, right. clinical psychologist. So it's interesting that that he would do that. And he does mention, as and you talk about this, he mentioned this the other night, the logos. So mm-hmm. what is he because it was very confusing. What does he mean when he says the logos? Uh, it's 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 hard to parse exactly what Peterson means by a lot of this stuff because it, like when you try hard to listen to understand him, he just gets so deep into the weeds. But um, I mean, I think it's, it's actually, interestingly, it's connected to um, how he first began to gain notoriety when he was protesting the, uh, the speech bill. Because, you know, for government to control his speech, his words, right, logos, um, was to violate, for him, something sacred, right? Mm-hmm. So um, speech is sacred. Human speech is sacred. Words matter, um, which is profoundly true, right? And that's a truth that we really need to recover um, in this day and age. And so, he, you know, he's fascinated by the idea of that opening chapter of, of John, the word made flesh, Jesus as logos. Um, and that, that, so God is the arch creator, and then we are like sub-creators. So God creates the world through his word, and then we also create through our words. And so, you know, he's not really sure what it all means, but he loves that idea and he, he comes back to it over and over again. Yeah. I, yeah, I found it confusing too the other night when he was talking about the logos. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it can, it can get tangled up with other confusing things, but uh, you know, in, in essence, I think that that's what it is that he, he thinks, he thinks that speech is, is sacred. Yeah. And I, I, he debated William Lane Craig, correct? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't particularly it wasn't a debate so much. It was a conversation kind of. Yeah, it was it was a three way. It was really awkward. It it didn't go that great. If you try to watch it, it's just like they're talking past each other. And then Stephen Pinker's wife is there for some reason. And she's really flaky. It doesn't contribute anything. So it's just just this this strange deal. Yeah. And if you you guys, if you don't know, William Lane Craig is one of the top lead uh, Christian apologists in the world. Right. And that was one of the. That's one of the earliest things that I saw. In fact, I think that may have been how I first heard of Peterson because my, my family are, are very into apologetics. My, my folks are well-regarded philosophers and Christian apologists. So they actually know William Blake Craig and I corresponded with him. So my dad had seen that dialogue with Craig. Um, so I was like, really? Because I, I, I knew who Craig was, obviously, but I didn't really know who Peterson was. And then I went and I watched it. Um, and my initial reaction was, gosh, Peterson's sort of all over the place. This this word salad and what's he even talking about? And he's That's not... what do you say word salad? I literally right, exactly. the exact like same not... words the other night. I said he's, word salad. Exactly. I... Like he's just sort of, he's not really focused or prepped or whatever. And then Craig got up and sort of did his, his little, you know, tic-tac-toe, perfectly prepped debate thing. And, uh, you know, sort of 
was better than Peterson in that respect. But then, you know, as time went on and I got more used to Peterson, I watched more of his stuff. I sort of understood a little better. Yeah. What he was doing in his style. And, and then going back and watching it again with some friends, it was really, it was interesting to sort of come full circle and, you know, kind of realizing that even though Craig, Craig is right. So, so they're talking that the, um, I think the topic it's, it's about finding meaning or, or value or something like that. Um, and so, you know, Craig is making the point that uh, you need to ground all of these things in theism, that, you know, God has to be the ultimate source and end of all of these things, all of which is true. Of course, I, I agree with Craig there. Um, but Peterson was the guy who, like, had the audience with him, you know, and, mm. and Peterson could tell a story. Um, yeah. And, you know, Peterson had the, you know, the emotional connection, whereas, you know, Craig felt like he was just sort of reading points off a, a card, you know, and so it really kind of made me go away and think about how, like what we could, could learn from Peterson, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, in terms of presentation, in terms of what, what's going to connect with people. Yeah. And he, t- he, t- he tends to get pretty emotional in interviews and on stage when he's speaking. Yeah. And that, you know, I think there's a physiological component to that. If I'm honest, you know, he's, he's always talked about how he's, he has a low tier threshold, just like naturally um, he's dealt with depression a lot. So, um, you know, but, but also he's just a deeply sensitive guy and, and he will, he just, he, people, when people come up and they tell him stories about how his stuff changed their life or whatever, you know, guy could be a complete stranger walking up to him on the street and Peterson is already crying, you know? So, um, that that's like it's a really it's a special thing yeah uh, so i think that's one of the reasons he connects well with audiences because he's very empathetic but so you mentioned in the in the william lane craig uh, section of of your piece you say craig neatly and efficiently which he always does william lane craig neatly and efficiently made his case for for christ that without faith in a personal god all life is ultimately meaningless but Jordan pushed back strongly that people can find meaning regardless of where the universe is ultimately heading. He made, and then he makes an analogy of, of a celebratory symphony. So talk about that, the Berlin Wall symphony thing, that analogy he makes. Yeah, um, so I, I'd have to scroll through, but I, I think this was when the, when the wall came down um, and, and there, there was like a symphony that people played uh, to celebrate it. Um, it's so, you know, Peterson was imagining, you know, like the guy who goes around whispering, you know, the symphony is going to end, right? Like, you know, there's, there's not going to be any symphony anymore. The music's going to stop and it's all going to fade away forever and ever. It's like, yeah, but the symphony is playing now, right? It's meaningful in the moment, you know? And then he, he also talks about um, if you've ever had a sick child and you're, you're nursing him through a sickness and that's, you know, he was probably thinking of his own daughter because she had a lot of health problems when she yeah. was a child. So he's like, well, what are you going to tell the parent? This isn't really that meaningful because what will it matter in a million years? Uh, no, obviously you won't and you can't because it is meaningful, which I think was, uh, you know, ki- kind of misrepresenting what what Craig meant. It's, you know, it's not that Craig was was coming along and saying this isn't meaningful you know, Craig wanted to say, and he tried to kind of clarify that later in some, um, some back and forth. 
Craig is saying, no, I'm agreeing with you that this is meaningful. I'm just encouraging you to think about why, you know, to, to try to kind of see if you can follow that out uh, and see where it might be tending, you know, or, or pointing. Yeah. And, and you say in the piece that, that Jordan Peterson, he basically, he, uh, Peterson, you say in his first debate in Vancouver, Peterson gives Harris the same answer he's been giving since he started having to answer the question in public about whether he believes in God. Right. And you say that he, or maybe he says this, he acts as if God exists. Yeah. Which, um, you know, is, is kind of moralism, you know, that, that can just lead to moralism if you act. So what, what do you think, what does he mean by that? That he just acts as if God exists. I, I, I think you're pretty much right. You know, it's, it's a sort of, um, so if you know what Pelagianism is theologically, it's, it's, it's a work salvation kind of a mentality. Um, you know, you, you try really, really hard to be a good person basically, which there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, you know, like I, yes, salvation by grace through faith, et cetera. But I mean, there's, there is something to be said, especially in this day and age for, uh, you know, recovering the idea of, of wanting to be good and trying to be good. So, um, you know, he, he talks about, for example, choosing words carefully, um, trying not to lie, right? So in his 12 rules for life, um, one of his rules is tell the truth or at least don't lie. So that would be one way in which he tries to act as if God is watching him or as if God exists, right? You know, Um, so, you know, he's got all of these things, but then he's also terrified because, um, because he doesn't really understand the gospel. Uh, And so he, he has this sense of the, like the weight of his inadequacy as a person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, this, this crushing guilt. And so it's, it's like, he's, he'll talk about how he's too scared to say he believes in God um, in some sense, because how could you manage that? You know, how could you live up to that? Right. Right. Which, which, yeah, again, the gospel, the gospel answers that needs to make an appearance here at some point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it reminded me of in my book, I talk about this. Uh, I talk about uh, Evelyn Waugh's novel, um, Brideshead Revisited, because which I love, which I, I love, yeah, novel. of course. Yeah. I, you know, I've I've read his that novel Good like stuff. five times, and I watched the miniseries with uh, uh, Anthony Jeremy, Andrews and Jeremy Irons. Jeremy yes. Irons in the eighties. Yes. I watched that miniseries so many yep. times. Um, I don't know if I should do a British accent or not, but I, anyway, what the, the character? No, you do you do a great British accent. I okay, the character accent. Charles Charles Ryder, who's an atheist, uh, he's the pr- protagonist in this novel. But Charles Ryder says this about religion. And this is what I feel like where Jordan, kind of the the space that that Jordan Peterson is in. He says, the view implicit in my education was that the basic narrative of Christianity had long been exposed as a myth. And that that. And that opinion was now divided as to whether its ethical teaching was of present value, a decision in which the main weight went against it. Religion was a hobby, which some people professed and others did not. At best, it was slightly ornamental. At worst, it was one of the provinces of complexes and inhibitions, catchwords of the decade, and of the intolerance, hypocrisy, and sheer stupidity attributed attributed to it for centuries. 
No one had ever suggested to me that these quaint observances expressed a coherent philosophical system and intransigent historical claims. Nor had they, nor had they done so, would I have been much interested. Now, Charles Ryder is much more, um, he's much cynical. more cynical about it. Yeah. But right. But that that kind of sums up a, in a way just the idea of, well, does this have, does Christianity, does the Judeo-Christian worldview have some benefit to society? And it seems like Jordan Peterson is is latching on to that in some way. Right. And in a way he's saying, you know, as long as it benefits society, that's really the, that's really what matters. So, you know, if he encounters a Christian, he's going to say, great, man, you know, you just good for you more power to you you're it's a step above nihilism man um, and so he's he's not gonna he's not gonna tell anyone to start to not be a christian because it, it's good for that person it's good for the world for there to be christians in it and so that that's what harris was uh, you know sort of challenging because harris wants to be like but 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 is it true like i want people to believe true things and peterson is like well i want people to not kill themselves so it's like right, this you right. know exactly right? Yeah. And in, in that debate with Harris, Peterson says uh, he when he's responding to Harris's question as, you know, do you believe in God or who is God? He says God is how we and this is this is again, this is kind of his word salad. God is how we imaginatively and collectively represent the existence of an action of consciousness across time. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. God, and then he goes on, okay. God is that which eternally dies and is reborn in the pursuit of higher being and truth. God is the highest value in the hierarchy of values. God is the voice of conscience. God is the source of judgment, mercy, and guilt. God is the future to which we make sacrifices. What no, do you think of all that? I feel like there's, there's good stuff in there, right? You know, but then I think that the problem is a big issue, and I get into this in the essay. <clears throat> is is he um he tends to depersonalize god so yes. you, you know he'll sort of wobble wobble around and back and forth with all these things that sort of reduce god to to it some kind of impersonal force or an idea an abstract an idea in the mind of man right you know when really it was man who began as an idea of the mind of god um and, and he, this is the issue it's it's you know he's he's conceptualizing the history of mankind as man's search for God when, you know, C.S. Lewis would come along and say, no, this is the story of mankind is about God's search for man. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this whole wonderful passage in in Lewis where he he makes an analogy to children playing hide and seek. And then they realize that they're actually the ones who are, who are being hunted and brides had revisited, of course, gets into that as well with the, the twitch upon the thread. Right. And that's God twitching on the other side, calling us back. And I, I think Peterson maybe even now still doesn't, doesn't really get that, doesn't really grasp the idea of no, 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 God is a person. He's a person. He's, he's a he, not, not an it, not a, you know, that to Not the we, divine whatever. or not some vague kind of amorphous. Right. right. Now, thing. where there might be some good things that there to work on is where he talks about the highest value, okay, or like the source of good or the source of justice and mercy. Uh, all of that is true, right? Um, and you could talk about how if you're if you're trying to seek the good, okay, so now we're getting a little bit of uh, Plato in here, 
And some friends and I were discussing this the other day. We decided that Peterson is kind of a Platonist because he does believe in this idea of value and good as existing outside of us, right? Um, but then, you know, somebody like uh, Augustine is going to come along and put all of this together, trying to speak to the Greeks, to the Platonists and say, hey, guys, that highest good, right? You know, the value or whatever. Well, all of this finds its roots, its source in the personal God. And so, you know, we can build on what you're saying, but we have to go that step farther. And that's what somebody needs to do with Peterson. Yeah. And so for for Jordan Peterson, you in the in the piece you wrote, uh, it, it, it does. He gets very emotional, as I, as I mentioned before, he gets emotional when asked about, you know, do you will you basically will you commit to surrender to God? And he says um, he says he calls it an unbearable task. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Is that what you and, and then? Yeah. And then he says, uh, Peterson says it twice. You say God only knows what you'd be if you believed. And so he concludes, I try to act like I believe. And he adds forcefully tears flowing. I'd never claim that I could manage it. Right. So going back to what you were saying earlier, it's it, it reminds me of Isaiah in the temple, you know, when he's just mm-hmm. overwhelmed by God and the the unbearableness of God's holiness, you know. Right. And, exactly. And so it's almost like he's in that he's in that tension right now where he's afraid of of the weight of of God's holiness. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which is, is, you know, it's so, it's such an improvement. And even though, you know, okay, yeah, somebody like Sam Harris thinks more clearly, he's going to sort of press Peterson to, to be clear about what he's saying, you know. Um, but I, Peterson, a guy like Peterson is so much closer to the kingdom than a guy like Sam Harris, because Harris is, is completely complacent. You know, he thinks of himself as a great guy, you know, it's, it's like... Oh, well, or, or, and I bet you I get to Stephen Fry. Stephen you know. Fry, I know. Stephen right, Fry yeah. is, is, uh, is so obnoxious when it comes to his atheism. He's yeah. like, God's a monster. He's a monster. And uh, Stephen Fry, by the way, if you guys, if he played Oscar Wilde in the film, in the film adapta- adaptation of someone's novel, or no, someone's. He's also Jeeves in Jeeves and Wooster. He's also what? He plays Jeeves in the show Jeeves and Wooster. Yeah. Which is so, a great show, by the way. But so yeah. yeah, talk about Stephen Fry's atheism and what what and how that plays out. Yeah. And so um Fry is I'm not sure if, if he's written a book like Christopher Hitchens, but he, I mean he's sort of in that that vein of like a really snide British atheists. Um and he had this very famous clip on Irish television where he had this imaginary conversation with God, you know, if you could if you met God at the afterlife, what would you say? And he launches into this whole problem of evil thing, basically, um, you know, like, what about bone cancer in children? What about all the terrible evils of the world? Um, and he concludes by saying, just banish God, you know, banish him. You know, things would be much simpler, you know, in, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, so he's very much setting up. We are the judge of God, you know, we, we, we get to sit in judgment over, over God. And Peterson comes along and says, are we really in a 
are we really in that kind of a, a position of moral authority? Because it sure doesn't seem that way. Uh, when I look around at the suffering that we cause, right? You know, the, the evil that comes from things that people do to each other, um, that would be a much better place to, to start looking. That's what Peterson is, is going to say. And so I, I mentioned this famous quote from G.K. Chesterton, um, where the, the paper sends out the question, what's wrong with the world? And Chesterton writes, I am. And so I want to turn to, you did an interview or you did a podcast with Justin Brierly, who has a podcast called Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And you were on with Douglas Murray. And Douglas Murray, I love, he's, uh, I, he wrote Madness of Crowds. And uh, Douglas Murray is, I don't know if he would call himself an atheist. Or yeah, an I, I think I think he's okay with calling himself that. I think he's, but he'll he's sometimes a, use, he'll, he'll use this weird phrase, Christian atheist, which we can get into a little bit, but, but yeah. yeah he's, he's and, um, but he's a, he's very, very conservative. So he's this conservative. Um, so he's kind of a new, new atheist, as you were saying, we were talking about before. He's this right. new, new atheist who, again, just like Peterson, love l- really appreciates the framework of the Judeo-Christian worldview as a structure that holds us together, that holds society in place and, and holds us. Uh, and, you know, so we're not <laughs> barbarians at each other's throats, you know, and that, that a God, God is watching, you know, we, we are responsible for what we do. Right. And it's Douglas who, cause Douglas was a moderator for some of the debate stuff between Peterson and Harris. And he would sometimes talk about how he felt like he kind of sat between them, both literally and metaphorically. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was Douglas who, who brings up, actually, he was quoting David Berlinski talking about, you know, Nazi, Nazi prison guards, Soviet guards or whatever. What do they all have in common? They thought God wasn't watching them. And uh, that, that quote had a profound effect on Murray. And it's something that he thinks about a lot. And so, and he's coming from the, the context of the Church of England. And so he was raised Christian, um, he was raised in the Anglican Church, and then went through a sort of crisis of faith. And then he deconverted when he was about my age, a little bit younger, like a few years younger. And interestingly, it was an, an early protege of Christopher Hitchens. Um, it, it's so, you know, Hitchens kind of took him under his wing, you know, kind of groomed him into, into the new, whole new atheist mentality. Um, and they were both very anti-Islam, so they had that in common. But um, but Douglas still had all this sort of affection for for old religion. So he kind of decided that he was going to trace a different path. He wasn't going to become just another new atheist. He kind of wanted to, you know, he, th- he didn't want to beat the dead horse, right? Mm-hmm. Because he, he didn't see the point. Right. And it's interesting, David Berlinski is in the same kind of camp as these new, new atheists, because he, David's too, interesting. Yeah. I love David Berlinski. Yeah. I'm he's great. Like yeah. He's brilliant. Um, and he's a ma- mathematician, uh, yep, but yep, yep. Berlinski is interesting too, because it just like with Douglas Murray Berlinski and with Jordan Peterson, it just feels like they're so close. They're yeah. just so close to the kingdom and understanding the kingdom, but so far in a way. Right. I think I think Peterson might be closest of all the three guys you named yeah. because um, I think he has the I think he has the biggest heart for uh, for what God might be able to bring. But uh, Berlitsky, it's interesting you mentioned it's a little bit of a side note. But it's kind of interesting. 
um, he 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 was talking about how he was talking about Pascal's quote about the God-shaped hole in every human heart, right? Um, and Berlitsky sort of gave his one of his little sardonic smiles, and he said, uh, you know, "That that hole in my heart is a bit smaller than usual. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's it's about that big, you know. So it's like, I know. okay, David, you know. Well, he's living in but, Paris and having this really nice life. Um, yeah, exactly yeah. right, right. And so, so you know, I have a little more hope for Peterson. I think I think that hole might be might be larger for Peterson. Well, uh, the, which gets me to my point because I I just wanted to push back mm-hmm. a little bit on what you said in the Justin Bar in the um the podcast the, with Justin the interview with with Murray, yeah. Uh, yeah, with with Douglas Murray, and because I, and Brad, Justin does this a lot with because I I watched Justin Barley interview or uh, moderate a talk between John Lennox and Dave Rubin here in Southern California. Yeah. And what what would it take for you? It's yeah. like he's always asking that he's, question. He kind right? of like puts them. He puts these people yeah. on the spot, yeah. like in, in front of an audience. Like, what would it take for you to become a Christian? Like. And um, and so you guys both basically both of you guys did this to Douglas Murray at the end of this this podcast. And what I found interesting slash uh, I just wanted to push back on is, I think at the end of the interview you said, basically the evidence is overwhelming. Like so, what? Why can't you just believe? Right? It's something to that effect. Well, well, uh, I I that. That wasn't quite what I said. So, so I, I, it wasn't that. So, so let, let me let me contextualize this a bit. So, the answer when, uh, that Douglas gave when Justin asked him that uh, was that he he thought that he would need to hear a voice from heaven, um, right, right, uh, and which surprised me because I I wasn't anticipating that answer at all. So I was kind of trying to think on my feet about what to say. If I had been a little faster at my feet I would have asked what he wanted the voice to say um, <laughs> maybe that would have been a little too uh too too pointed for for the nice chat that we were having um but but so but so instead what I what I said was just well I, I don't think that we need to have like like a direct personal revelation from God I think we you know we in the west who have access to all the information that we could desire it's not like we're you know, in some oppressed country locked away from access to the Bible or something, you know, we have information, we can seek out conversations with friends or whatever. And I think that we have enough light to see uh, without that. And then Douglas took kind of a, a step back and he kind but of- But that sounds Pelagian. See, that, that's the problem is that that's very Pelagian to- Oh, I don't, I don't think so. So, so, so I mean, don't- To say confuse. that I can just believe in God without God- the Holy Spirit has to open, like we're all born spiritually blind. The Holy Spirit has to quicken your heart, open your eyes. It has to be a voice from God, as it were. It has to be a supernatural moment in time when a person is born from above, born of the Spirit, which is what exactly what happened to me. I actually did hear a voice from God. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was an okay. internal voice. And and that's the thing. It's like, I wish so much in that interview with, or that, that podcast that you had uh, told, cause I want to talk to Douglas Murray about this so much. I want to say, cause he's, he's, he wants to believe, but uh, you can't, I, I, you can't believe unless God opens your eyes there. there you can't, it's, it's, it's impossible. Well, okay. To so there, I mean, you can, you can, you can be, okay. Can th- there's, you can assent to God. You can assent to, to religion, 
but to actually have a personal, genuine, uh, real belief, saving, let's call it saving belief, saving faith in God. It has to be come from the Holy Spirit quickening your heart and opening your eyes. And that's what I wish you guys had said to Douglas Murray. <laughs> okay. Well, so there's a, there, there's a, there's a few different things going on here. And I, I think we, we, we might still have a bit of a, a bit of a difference of opinion here. Um, but, uh, but, but I mean, just to clarify, I, I, I'm not, I don't mean to knock the, the working of the Holy spirit. I mean, like, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree at all that, that the Holy spirit has to, has to do a work in our hearts. And, and in fact, I, I, I mean, I do think that, um, that needs to happen to Douglas. I think there, you know, there's some, some things maybe he needs to let go of and maybe surrender to, to the spirit. Um, the, the point that I was making though, because I think Douglas did, did mean an audible voice when, when he said I need, I would need to hear a voice. I, I think he was maybe half joking, maybe half not. And by the I, way, David Berlinski says the same thing. He says, oh, really? I would, Interesting. He says, I would need. Well, maybe he borrowed it from David. That's I, Yeah, he doesn't. I don't know if it was the exact same words, but it was the same idea. I need to hear. I need it. I, it's like, I need that experience. I right. need to I have need, an experience of yeah, God. Right. And so I think in, in the moment, what I was trying to kind of push back against a little bit was, uh, you know, it's 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 it sort of was like a gentler milder version of i would need my the stars to spell out my name in the sky or something you know like come on god give give me like my own personal little sign right like my my little special revelation and i i want to poke a little at that and say god doesn't owe that to you actually he he doesn't owe that um to to any of us he gave you know he gave us what we needed to seek him, you know, to, to pursue him, um, which, but, but I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't affirm a, a, a Pelagian framework because I, I, I still, I'm not saying that, that we save ourselves in that way. Um, you know, it's, it's only through, it's only through Jesus that we can be saved and, and God reaching down to, to meet us. Um, but you used, I think you used the word assent, right? Like you, you can assent to, right? And I think think that's where pursuing that light can, can lead you to, to the place where you're open. Because I think if we, you know, if we don't want God to work in us, if we don't want his spirit to work in us, then I think God set, leaves us alone. You know, he's like, you know, okay. But, um, but if, if we open, if we ask God to save us, then he will. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think that, that, that was the main point that I, I wanted to make just sort of, and then Douglas was qualifying. Well, I, I'm, I'm not saying that's just like for me personally, that I would need that for me personally, that's where the bar is, but I'm not saying that that's how high the bar should be for everyone. Um, so, you know, he, he was kind of clarifying in that sense for his part. Yeah. But I, I wholeheartedly agree with Douglas with that because th- I needed to hear I needed to hear God's voice. I needed that road to Damascus kind of moment. Otherwise I would not, there would be no reason for me to believe. Like I would get, I went to the church service in 2009. You you went to church though, right? You were, you you were, you were curious, right? You were pursuing that, right? So you were following, you were following the little trail of breadcrumbs that God had laid out for you. I think Douglas says that he does attend church sometimes. Right, but not in the. I mean, you have to understand this in like a Church of England 
uh, type context. Know, you know, like there's, there's what, what was that? <laughs> it's different. Yeah, that's very different. A yeah, CFD it is. I know context. because you have to, and I mean, this is sort of this interesting function of the fact that that England has an established church, right? Which is that people get used to it. You know, it just kind of becomes like a part of the, um, you know, but it doesn't the fabric actually mean of anything. life. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And so, you know, Douglas will talk about and even he interestingly, he mentioned this in um, in a conversation with Jordan Peterson, actually, uh, along with a friend of Jordan's. But uh, Douglas had this little self-aware line where he said that he would he would catch um, an evening service where like the choir sings, but um, there's no preaching. There's no communion. There's there, you know, there's no people don't say the creed. And he goes, you know, you don't have to commit. You know, so, so I like it's, I, I slip into that. It's not very demanding at all. And I can just enjoy the, the music or the service or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there, there are steps that he takes. He's sort of very consciously hanging back in, in some sense, I, I think, you know, and he'll slip out as soon as people start saying the creed, you know, um, it's, it's so he. It, it, this is what I mean when, when I say that, that there's. It, you have to get to a place where you're where you're willing to let the spirit flood you, you know, like like you have to let God work in you. Yeah, um, I just but yeah. I do think that Douglas Murray and Jordan Peterson and even David Berlinski, perhaps. But these new new atheists, uh, as you would call them, I mean, I, I do think. I so want them to have obviously that experience um, right. of God and the presence of the Holy spirit and, and have the Holy spirit open their, take the scales from, I mean, Paul couldn't believe Paul was like on his way to kill Christians and Jesus appeared to him. Paul wasn't seeking after Jesus. He wasn't. That, seeking after- that is true. And so, you know, I, I, you, you have a fair point there that we see biblical precedent and, you know, we even hear conversion stories today where it, you know, Jesus sort of does the equivalent of reaching down and grabbing someone by the scruff of the neck and saying, the hound of heaven. He's you're the a hound Christian of heaven. now, right? Exactly. You know? And so, um, I, I, you know, God, God is mysterious that way. I don't know why he chooses to, to act with some people in that way, but, but not necessarily with, with everybody. I don't think, I, I think everyone's story, um, is different in that way. It's, just, you know, some people he grabs by the scruff of the neck and some people, I think he just waits and uh you know and and allows them to allows them to to figure it out and so i mean i think berlinski's comment about the hole in his heart being really small is is you know it's telling because it's it's like he's not berlinski is not expending any effort to widen that hole you know like, right. like put put it that way he's, he's chosen not opening to keep, up himself to exactly he's to chosen God. to keep that to keep that hole very small and even douglas in his little subtle ways like oh i'm gonna go to that service but not that service right oh i'm gonna don't want to hear that or oops look at the time i gotta go somewhere you know um you know that they're 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 making they're making their choices um Mm -hmm. and you know peterson may be in his way too but but i feel like i feel like peterson in a way might be um might be more ready to just sort of leap into the arms of God in some sense, you know, uh, you know, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but there's, there's something in, there's something in Peterson that, it, you know, reminds me a little bit of the character of Emmeth in the last battle, right. Who, you know, he's been worshiping the false God Tash this whole time, you know, which is obviously bad, but he seems good. It's, it's like, 
I, you know, I think of Tash as good and true and beautiful, and obviously that's terribly misplaced. And as soon as he sees Aslan, the lion, he realizes, oh my gosh, I've made a terrible mistake. And he falls on his face and worships Aslan because he suddenly realizes, okay, this is the source of the good and the true and the beautiful. This is where I need to direct my worship now. And Aslan says, yep, this is where you need to direct your worship now, right? But I forgive you and, and I accept you into, into my kingdom. Um, and so that could be that could be Jordan one day. I would like to think so. I'd, I'd love to think so. Yeah, well, let's leave it there. And guys, if if you're watching, please actually pray for pray for Jordan Peterson, because I really do think he's this. He's so close. <laughs> right. So yeah. Pray for him. Pray that the spirit would move in him and he would uh, understand the truth and the truth, you know, for real, like the real truth. And so. We're going to leave it at that. Uh, Bethel, where can people find this article, this piece? So um, this article comes from a uh, essay collection. It's called um, Jordan Peterson Critical Responses. And it's published by Karis Books. And there's there's a whole bunch of essays in there, um, which, you know, they're, they're all over the place. They come from um, all different perspectives. And uh, if you want, I also have uh, another essay on Peterson in a different collection. It's called um, Myth and Meaning in Jordan Peterson, A Christian Perspective. And those essays are all written by Christians. And so, uh, you know, either one of those you could check out and my thoughts are in there. And I have some free short articles and stuff floating around as well. You just kind of would have to to piece it together but well we'll put stuff uh, is we'll out put there. those we'll put links, links and, yeah. we'll put links below for for those two things that you just mentioned and you so you have a substack right yes uh, i do which for those who don't know what a substack is it's like a um it's a cross between a blog and a newsletter basically that's it's the hot new thing that all the the writers are doing so the url is just my name bethelmagrew.substack.com and i called it further up which is sort of meant to evoke um, C.S. Lewis and and uh, the idea of everyone fighting their way further up and further in at the end of the last battle. Yeah, and we'll put that link for the Substack below as well. So the th- we'll put three links below. But for now, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about JP. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Beckett. Great to be All here. All right. Thank you, guys. And uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.